This is episode number 26 of the Polyglot Developer Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Raboy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This episode is going to be a little different than any episode that we've had to date. Um, So for example, this episode is going to be our first ever episode on the topic of game development. With me on the show today, I have special guest Ben Mears from SideFX. And if you're unfamiliar, SideFX is actually the company that makes the product Houdini, which is going to be the topic of today's episode. When it comes to game development, being able to generate content, special effects, and terrains quickly and easily is always a necessity. And this is something that Houdini helps drastically with when it comes to your overall workflow. This is something that we're going to be learning about in this particular episode. With that said, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, I'm with Ben Mears, and we're going to be talking about game development and more specifically with Houdini. But before we get to that uh, core subject material, I want to give Ben a chance to introduce himself. So how are you doing, Ben? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Nick. It's uh, good to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So where exactly do you work right now? We'll start with that. Yeah. So I am a games community manager at SideFX, and we make Houdini, which is procedural 3D software. Most people know Houdini for movie and TV special effects. But over the past maybe five, six years, uh, more and more video game studios are using Houdini in their pipelines. So I've been with SideFX about four years, and I'm just focused all on games and game developers who are using Houdini. So are you pronouncing it as SideFX or SideFX? Like, is there... Uh, yeah, there, there was, it used to be actually spelled out as two words, SideFX, and then they kind of uh, consolidated down to SideFX. So it is pronounced SideFX even though it is spelled S-I-D-E-F-X. Awesome. Yeah, and I definitely want to get more into side effects as well as Houdini. Um, but as far as what you're doing in your personal time or um, where you live exactly, uh, you're you're in California, right? Yeah, so side effects has uh, two offices. The main headquarters is actually in Toronto, and that's where the company started. And then there's also a office in L.A., specifically Santa Monica. So that's where I live now. Um, I was hired into the Los Angeles office. So I just, and I moved from Northern California. So I basically figured out where the office was and then moved as close as I could to it. (laughs) So how did you get into this industry? Were you uh, previously in uh, game development or uh, just a hobby or a passion of yours? Um, I've been in the game industry for about 12 years now, I think. And I kind of, I mean, I've always loved animation. So as a kid, I was doing animation. Um, I discovered like a slideshow feature on my uh, parents' Mac, like laptop, and uh, was doing little like stick man animations. I also uh, put their camcorder through some heavy usage with some stop action animation using toys. Uh, So I've always had a love of animation and art. And so I went to college uh, and kind of was thinking, how can I make a living with art and kind of graphic design came to mind. So I went to college for graphic design. And uh, while I was there, I also did um, a minor in film production. 
So those kind of merged and I discovered 3D animation and I went back to school um, and learned 3D animation on Maya. And at that point, it was more of uh, trying to look at getting into like a feature animation studio, you know, like Pixar or DreamWorks would be the dream job. But uh, kind of while I was there, I kind of luckily got into a company that was making uh, video tutorials for game development and they needed somebody who knew Maya. So I was able to get in there and I knew video production, so that helped as well. And that kind of is what started me on the uh, game development track. And it was a great job because I was learning all these game development tools and uh, workflows while we were making the tutorials. Um, and yeah, I've been in the game game industry ever since then. So as far as you being in the game industry, are you primarily um, doing the animations and design or do you do any of the development as well? Um, I actually don't do much design or animation or development. I'm So as games community manager right now, I uh, mainly work with game developers who are using Houdini. I still do a bit of video production, uh, doing some interviews with uh, in mostly indie game devs, or uh, like we just had Global Game Jam that had a bunch of games that use Houdini, so I put together a little kind of demo reel of games from Global Game Jam that were made with Houdini. And I, I don't actually get to really do as much animation as I used to. I still try to get into it uh, in my spare time, but my normal job, kind of duties don't really call for it. So I don't do a whole lot of design or animation anymore. It's kind of more of, um, you know, networking with people and some video production and a, and a little bit of graphic design. Got it. But you still have that passion for it, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I love game development. I'm always happy to uh, check out people's games and learn about how they're making them. I also love play testing games, which is, you know, kind of an easier <laughs> way to be involved in game development where, if somebody, anybody wants, you know, some feedback on their games, I'll, I'll love to check them out and see if I can kind of help them out. Awesome. Yeah, no, that sounds pretty awesome. That sounds like every every kid's dream right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's jump right into the core core subject of this particular episode. So, I mean, you kind of brushed on it slightly, but can you give me a, a deeper dive into what Houdini is? Yeah, so Houdini is a uh, DCC 3D software that kind of, it's similar to other 3D packages like Maya, 3D Studio Max, Blender, um, Softimage. The main difference is that it's a procedural workflow. So everything you do in Houdini creates a node and you start building these node networks and you can go into that node network and have control over all the aspects of your scene using those. Uh, so it's kind of it's a procedural way of working and, and it's non-destructive, whereas some of the other packages, uh, without that node network, it's kind of a destructive workflow where you, it's hard to get back to a certain step. You, know, you might have a history stack, but sometimes those get crunched down and you lose that work. Um, so it's, yeah, and Houdini's used for all sorts of stuff. Any movie or TV show that has any kind of special effects, like fire, water, explosions, smoke, uh, destruction is a big one, is probably done with Houdini. And now more and more games are using it. Um, and although on the game side, we kind of see some different things with like terrains being created in Houdini, um, even more modeling and kind of asset creation, which Houdini is not normally known for. And there's even a big focus on character tools. So now you can, you know, model, rig, and animate a full character in Houdini, whereas before, 
was kind of just more known as an effects tool. Got it. So you mentioned procedural workflow. Is that what you called it? Yeah, procedural. Can you paint a, a a clear picture for me on on what that means? Are you when you say that? Are you referring to something like a big if this then that kind of network of of nodes, or um, maybe shed some more light into it? Yeah, you basically it's kind of in a way it's controlled randomness. You can set you have parameters and sliders on you know many different uh, variables within your node network, so you can procedurally control assets. So it's kind of like one good example is like instead of just modeling a 3D chair, I will make a tool in Houdini that will procedurally generate a huge variety of 3D chairs. So it uh, it kind of takes out a lot of the manual uh, repetition type work. You're not so much like on the modeling kind of example, you're not so much moving polygons and verts around. You're more kind of setting up rules for your asset and then using parameters to change the model that way. So it allows you to kind of work a lot faster and more efficiently once you've set up your tool in Houdini. Um, and using the procedural workflow, you can kind of just make a lot more content faster. And it can really handle anything you can think of. I mean, there's uh, people using it for data science and, um, you know, visualizing just millions of data points. And, you know, trying to do stuff like that manually would be near impossible. (laughs) So procedural really is the way to go. And um, I think a lot of people are kind of realizing that and starting to look at procedural workflows as as a better way of working. So, so you mentioned uh, you mentioned chairs. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, you mentioned the chairs earlier as an example, and yeah. uh, I do have questions around that. So, uh, I assume that you can't just go into Houdini and say, "Make me a bunch of chairs." I assume that you have to have some kind of blueprint, right, on what a chair actually is. Yes, yes. It's basically setting up the blueprint or the tool. Uh, we have HDAs in Houdini called a Houdini digital asset, which is basically kind of packaging up a tool that you could give to somebody else to use. But in the chair example, if you think of all the different, you know, variables and parts that make up a chair, those can be then uh, worked into like a Houdini node network. So, you know, just with the legs, you could have the thickness of the legs, what shape is the foot, um, what's, what is the bevel on the legs. What's the curve of it? All that kind of stuff can be um, built into the node network. And then procedurally, using sliders and parameters, you can then affect those. So in the example of just a chair leg, you know, you wouldn't really need to be dragging curves around to change it. You would be dragging sliders that would then affect the curves. And using that, you can um, you know, generate lots of content really fast. So... In regards to this blueprint, then uh, you, you, it was an, what kind of asset was it? It was a, uh, HDAs or HDA. Houdini yeah, digital so, asset. Yeah. So in regards to that, then are you, are you providing, um, let's say some kind of polygon shape for each one of these, say curves or legs or, or, or whatnot, or, I mean, maybe shed some more light into what, what that, what would go into creating anything like that? Yeah, I mean, it, that part would be like normal 3D modeling. Houdini's full-featured 3D, so it's like you would probably get in there and start roughing out the shape of, you know, the chair leg, but then you'd sure. be able to put parameters on it and control it that way. 
Um, so yeah, you do kind of need, it's, I mean, it's a tech artist tool, so you would need to be able to create some stuff in Houdini, but you know, you could start with spheres and, and boxes and, um, go from there and then just kind of build up the tool that way. Got it. So then I'm going to throw some examples at you and, and I know that everyone has their own opinion on this, but, um, in regards to your procedural approach for, for Houdini, um, how do you prevent uh, it from automatically being generated as as something boring or maybe even unpredictable. Um, and I'll I'll sh- I'll share some examples that I've faced with procedurally generated games. At least I think they're procedurally generated. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, I'll, I'll throw the example of of No Man's Sky. You heard you heard yes. that one, right? Yeah, played a bunch yeah, of so, it. Yeah. So I I played it. I it was an alright game to me. But what I found is every single one of those planets, which I think was procedurally generated they all felt more or less the same. They weren't, they weren't too exciting to me. Uh, mm. So how, how do you prevent that from happening um, with, with Houdini? Is, that, is there a lot of logic that goes into um, creating these blueprints and everything? Yeah, I think the first key distinction to make is that uh, procedural content creation is different than procedural level generation or like procedural game design. Because kind of like in No Man's Sky, it's randomizing the worlds based on the assets they have and like combining them together. Sure. So eventually you will start to see repetition. Procedural content creation is more of uh, creating large varieties of uh, assets, basically using a rule like rule set, basically. So you're not really ever generating something randomly inside houdini and and you also have tons of control because at any in any node you can go in and make changes and those changes will you know ripple throughout the rest of the the node network so procedural content creation you actually have a lot more control and you can fine-tune uh your results whereas with um you know procedural level generation where it's randomizing based on the assets provided you don't have as much control. Um, so they're actually kind of different on the content creation side as opposed to like the actual level generation or game design side. So so does does Houdini only do uh, procedural content or does it do things like terrains as well for, for levels? Uh, well, you can make procedural terrains where you have sliders. Um, Ubisoft is a great example of this. They've used Houdini to build terrains for Ghost Recon Wildlands. And for Far Cry 5, uh, and the thing there is that they can have complete control over their terrain without ever having to just move individual polygons or, you know, groups of polygons around. Um, so they have these sliders for all these systems they set up, and the systems are built off of real-world examples. So one of them is, like, uh, when you have a big tree, there is a certain amount of space surrounding that tree where no other vegetation will grow. And, you know, and kind of there's circles out from that where it's like certain, like certain vegetation heights. Um, And this is all based on like real, like nature, you know, what happens in nature. And so they've actually built that system in Houdini into their uh, terrain tool so that when they place a like a big tree it knows not to place any other uh foliage or bushes 
within that certain radius um, from that big tree. So then you can think of how complex it can get when you start building all these kinds of systems. Um, another cool one I saw was uh, in Mafia 3, they were also using it for terrain. And they had a road system based on curves so that, you know, if you drag the curve, the road will follow and, you know, the texture will be there also and the collision box will also be there. And they, you know, no, there's no roads that are just the pavement. I mean, unless maybe it's a cliff, but most roads have like a shoulder or a flat area along them. So their road system took that into account too. So wherever the road was, it would also create a flattened shoulder next to the road that would have a dirt texture instead of the road texture. And so if you want to make changes on these huge terrains, it's uh, you'd much rather have a sliders to control it than be trying to move things around by hand. So that just that's the terrain example. But um, back to your original question, you can do traditional stuff in Houdini as well. Not everything has to be procedural. Um, maybe if you're going to make a character that's a hero character, you don't really need it to be procedural. So you could just do traditional modeling um, for that. So it can handle both procedural, that's the strength, but you can also do kind of some of the traditional workflows in Houdini as well. So is Houdini strictly 3D? Because you, you mentioned a few games that were all 3D. Um, can you do uh, 2D um, game design with, with Houdini? You could. You definitely could, yeah. Um, most games using it, of course, are 3D, but there's there's definitely uses uh, for 2D games or even maybe more even 2.5D. But like uh, there was a game a few years ago called Chariot that came out, and uh, they used Houdini as a level design tool. And this is like a more of a side-scrolling platformer. So it's like a side view. I think they still had two 3D assets in there, but it could have easily been 2D. But they were using it to basically uh, procedurally block out the levels um, before, like design levels that way. And they were, you know, they weren't completely randomized. They had control over, you know, where platforms were and stuff like that. But you could definitely use it for 2D. You know, I know like South Park is actually made in a 3D program. So if you, you could probably do some kind of tricks like that too, where you use Houdini uh, to generate flat images that look 2D, but are actually 3D. So yeah, you can do 3D stuff as well. And all of this, all of this uh, procedural generation, is this done uh, prior to kind of the build of the game or is this something that, that, game developers are using like on the fly like as as the game loads a new procedural level or terrain or, or similar is being created on the fly yeah that's a great question that comes up a lot so uh at this point houdini is not runtime so you basically are creating stuff in houdini and then putting it into a game engine or rendering it um and so it's it's not like the game is loading it because we would have like we do have this tool called Houdini Engine, and it's kind of a bit of a misleading name maybe because it's kind of more of a bridge between Houdini and other tools like Unity Game Engine, Unreal uh, Game Engine, also 3D tools like Maya, Cinema 4D, 3D Studio Max, and basically what Houdini Engine is is it connects those tools together. So on the Game Engine um, example, you basically have Houdini running and Houdini Engine connected to either Unity or Unreal. 
And the idea here is that you would use HDAs, Houdini Digital Assets. You create them in Houdini and then you bring them from Houdini Engine to the game engine and it's basically a smart asset. So it's, you can uh, basically in the game engine, you have the procedural controls that you had in Houdini. So it's not a locked down exported asset. It's actually a live asset that you can make changes to. And we've seen this be very useful for uh, level designers who maybe don't have, know the art tools, but they're designing levels in like Unity or Unreal. And the kind of strength there is that they have these controls where, say, like they have wall asset and they need it to be, you know, a few feet longer. They can just move the slider or the control in the game engine without having to go back to the artist and say, hey, can you, you know, uh, make and export a new wall that's a few feet longer? And uh, when in and these assets, when they're set up the right way, like the textures will scale correctly and the collision meshes will scale correctly. So the, the level designer is really empowered to make the changes they want instantly. And it really cuts down the back and forth time between the artist and the level designer. Um, so that's basically the goal with Houdini Engine. And unfortunately, it is not, uh, it's not, possible at runtime yet kind of one of the limitations there is that we would have to like ship houdini engine with the game then you get it start getting into all sorts of licensing <laughs> issues and it's uh technically challenging at this point but it's uh definitely on our radar people ask about it all the time you know it's like oh it would be great if the player could be manipulating these objects procedurally and making changes procedurally um, so it's definitely it's definitely an interesting topic that needs to be addressed uh, more. <laughs> but I think that's all yeah, I can I think... say, that's all I can say about it at this time. I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with with modern modern commute, computing power, um, a lot of this stuff I imagine is a lot more possible than it was ten years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you mentioned you mentioned Unreal a few times. Um, so when it comes to, I think you mentioned called it a smart asset. Um, in regards to these smart assets, are are you supposed to be downloading some kind of extension for these these platforms like Unreal um, in order to use it, or is it just something that Unreal um, recognizes automatically? Yeah, it's basically Houdini Engine's like a plugin for Unreal. Um, I don't think it doesn't ship with it now. Maybe that will change at some point. But yeah, you basically would have to get uh, Houdini Engine and connect it to Unreal. We do have Houdini Engine available without having to own Houdini. So the idea there is like, you know, again, maybe a level designer who does, doesn't need to create stuff in Houdini, but wants to be able to use Houdini uh, assets in Unreal, just needs to have Houdini Engine. So it's actually like a standalone product. Sure. Yeah. So but it's basically a, a plugin for Unreal. So is Unreal the only supported game engine or mm -hmm. do you support Unity and others as well? Uh, right now, we only support Unity and Unreal. And Got it. yeah, I don't know if there's any plans for other game engines at this point, um, but those are the two main ones that we work with. And then it also works with like Maya, 3D Studio Max, uh, and Cinema 4D. And in regards to the assets, so you, you threw out the word static asset, I think, once. Uh, so are you able to generate these static assets in Houdini and then uh, load them or maybe? even upload them to the Unity asset store uh, to sell? Yeah, you can still export 
like FBX or OBJ or like standard file formats uh, out of Houdini. So it's like even even you could make game stuff without even you touching Houdini Engine at all. And I know game developers that do that. Um, a cool game that came out um, recently is called Planet Alpha, and they used Houdini to build lots of stuff in the game and then put it into Unreal Engine. And they weren't using Houdini Engine; they just uh, you know exported it as FBX and brought it in. So you can definitely do it that way as well. Um, yeah, and it's just it's a different workflow, but that still works just as just as fine. Perfect. Now I have a, now I have a question, I guess, regarding your target audience. So um, I, for one, am very developer heavy with with not a whole lot of design skills. Would I would I be able to get around using Houdini, or do I need to have a, I guess, artist knack? Um, maybe you can shed some light into that. Yeah, that's a good. Maybe what would the learning curve be? That's a good question. It's it's a it's primarily known as a tech artist tool. Um, so tech savvy people <laughs> that can code a bit usually have the best time with it. But the goal is really that it's an artist tool as well. So that's where the node networks come in. Like you can use sure. Sudini and make really cool stuff without writing a single line of code, because what you're doing is just connecting nodes together and then changing parameter values. And you can do all that, just, you know, drag and drop, connect things. Um, there's no code needed, but Houdini also works with Python and there's an internal scripting language called Vex. So if you know code, uh, people can definitely make like really cool stuff happen there. So I think kind of most of the top level Houdini users are tech artists who are kind of a mix of, you know, coders and artists. And then even like, you know, the developers on our games team are mostly coders and not even really touching art that much, but doing lots of cool stuff with Houdini just by code and um, using what's already there. Yeah, the reason I asked because I uh, indie games are are exploding right now when it comes to Steam and all of these other uh, platforms. So I'm wondering because they probably don't have a huge development team or a huge design team. A lot of a lot of this they they probably wear many hats, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, smaller teams, kind of people have to do more, take on more roles. One really cool example uh, is a guy named Luis Garcia. He's He's a indie game developer who's like a one-man team. Uh, he lives in Mexico, and he's been building his game that's called Suki and the Shadow Claw uh, for a few years now using Houdini and the Unity game engine. And he he does he's doing the code and the art, um, which I think is kind of rare to find somebody who can do both the code and the art. Usually, you have maybe at least two people. You know, one's doing sure. code, one's doing art. But there are those rare individuals who can do both. So he's actually one of those guys, and he's uh, coding the game while also doing all the art for it. Uh, he had been doing all his art in 3D Studio Max, but when he discovered Houdini, he switched over because he could work quicker. And he's now set up a bunch of tools for his game. It's a 3D platformer, so he has like you know a bridge tool that connects uh, to Houdini digital asset. And so when he brings it into Unity, he can just drag curves or move sliders to change the bridge shapes or lengths, you know, and then uh, the asset knows to like scale the texture correctly and scale the collision mesh uh, correctly. So after he's spent the kind of front end time um, building the tool, then he can 
use it to quickly build like tons of levels. Uh, so it's kind of spending a bit of time on at the beginning to set up a good asset will save you a lot of time later on. Uh, so he's one good example. There's definitely lots of other indies that we see are starting to use Houdini. Uh, we have a Houdini indie license um, that's basically for people who are kind of getting started with Houdini. There's like a $100,000 revenue limit. So it's kind of like for new studios or maybe working on their first project. Um, but it's a way to get in with Houdini. And then the idea is hopefully you become successful and then, you know, you buy the next version up. Um, yeah, if you're making $100,000 on your game, you're, you're doing quite well, yeah, I think. Yeah. Well, depending on how many people are on your team. But yeah. Yeah. So that's the goal. Um, so it's been cool to see more and more game studios discover it and start to use it and kind of see what they're doing and how they're kind of optimizing their workflows uh, by using Houdini. Now, now jumping back into the Python story. Um, so, I mean, we, we've kind of heard about using Houdini with all of the sliders and, and abilities that it offers. What added benefit does it give you if you happen to know Python? Um, you can just, you can write expressions easier in there. Uh, I'm actually more on the art side. I'm not much of a coder at all. So it's, I, you know, we'd have to talk to somebody who's more of a coder for that, but you sure. can kind of just harness the power of Houdini better. It's kind of like in Maya, like if you knew Mel scripting, you could kind of do more stuff. Um, and I think you can actually kind of speed up because you're typing code instead of actually like dragging nodes around probably a bit faster. Is it at all, uh, is it any more precise if you do it through code than, than trying to drag things around? Uh, you probably can get more like precise because you can just dial it, like type in the exact values. Sure. But you're also, you can get pretty precise on the sliders too because you can set the sliders up to values that you want. Um, so yeah, I think it's just the kind of difference in work, like how people like to work. Got it. Um, so in regards to uh, getting help and, and the support that uh, SideFX offers, uh, what what are how how do how do you guys support the the, the game developers who are using Houdini? Yeah, that's so that's actually a big part of my job. I'm always like on the lookout for game studios that are using Houdini, and kind of my goal is to try to help them be as successful as possible. So we do, you know, like trial licenses. If somebody wants to start off with Houdini, they can uh, get a trial license. We actually have a free version called Houdini Apprentice that's on our website. Anybody can get that, um, and you can use it for as long as you want. There's no, like, one-month duration or any kind of time limit. It's just limited in that you can't uh, export, and if you render, there will be a watermark on it, and it doesn't work with Houdini Engine, so you can't actually connect to the game engines. But it's a great way to get Houdini for free and learn all the tools and learn the UI and kind of just start getting comfortable with it for no cost. And then when if you like it and you think it's a good tool, then you could buy it. Um, so that's kind of we support uh, kind of indies and students that way. Um, and then, yeah, we give out trial licenses for when people kind of want to do the full test and be able to export or render or use Houdini Engine. We do, uh, we, our marketing team is really awesome and we do uh, like customer stories where we go and we, um, you know, interview studios and I've even got to do a few of those myself. So uh, I did one with Planet Alpha, um, Adrian Lazar is the developer. So that's on our website. So check that out. But, but kind of just, you know, sharing their stories and how they're using Houdini. 
Uh, we do lots of events called uh, Houdini Hive. We'll actually be at GDC next week. So if anybody, I don't know when this will air, but if it's before GDC, come check it out. Uh, we always have a presence at SIGGRAPH too, and we organize um, presentations, pretty cool like talks by the Houdini pros, both, you know, AAAs and indies alike. Uh, so kind of just, you know, sharing the Houdini knowledge and kind of building up the Houdini community, uh, I think is a good way that we like support all our, our users. Awesome. Is there any last minute words of wisdom that you want to give the listeners of this episode? Anything that you see um, being done particularly well, or maybe there's, you see people doing things a certain way and, and it should probably be changed. Just anything you want to shed light on. Well, the easy one is if you're a 3D artist or game developer, uh, check out Houdini. <laughs> Get the free version. Um, I think it's been cool to see how it can really like speed up workflows and make more just easier to create more content in a shorter amount of time. I think game like gamers these days have really high expectations. You know, games are constantly getting bigger and bigger. And they just need to have more content, more assets. Um, so using Houdini is a good way to kind of be able to deliver what gamers are expecting now. Um, and you can create, you know, bigger worlds and kind of just more variety overall, I think will help create a better game experience overall. Um, as far as words of wisdom, I guess just... Uh, stick with it no matter what you're focusing on you know and motivation is kind of one of the only limiting factors nowadays all the tools are there and most of them are can be accessed fairly cheap or even free uh so really kind of figure out what you want to do and just stick with it and keep the motivation going awesome well i appreciate you being on this episode of the show ben yeah thanks a lot for having me it's been great I hope you found this episode of the podcast useful. If you want to go ahead and check out Houdini, go to sidefx.com. I want to give a special shout out to DigitalOcean, who's a sponsor of this particular podcast episode. If you're unfamiliar, DigitalOcean offers a variety of computing services ranging from object storage to managed Kubernetes to just virtual private servers. The Polyglot developer has been using DigitalOcean for several years now due to their very affordable and very easy to understand pricing model. If you'd like to give DigitalOcean a try, I actually have a promo code. So if you go to do.co slash polyglot in your web browser, you can sign up and actually receive $100 credit towards your DigitalOcean account. If you found this episode of the podcast to be valuable, it would mean a lot to me if you left it a five-star rating and review on iTunes or whatever podcast network that you're using that allows for ratings and reviews. And this concludes episode number 26.